Good each of you again this afternoon, and um, glad that we can be together again here. I've I've had um, just kind of felt a burden here for a little while, several uh, probably several weeks, maybe even a couple months now. I've been maybe intending to. Uh, have a, in place of afternoon service, I don't know if in place, but I always kind of draw a distinction, I guess. I, I see, and I've shared this many times, brothers here know, know uh, how we feel about this, but there's that verse that talks about the Lord, how he went about preaching and teaching. And I personally, as I was out walking here this afternoon after lunch, and I was just thinking about it, I would far rather just, if I'm just open and transparent here, I would much rather just stand here and just open this word and just preach from it. Whatever opens, there's a lot less that I have to struggle with if I'm just really open about that. I, I don't have to worry so much about me getting in the way of, of the message. I, because I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know what we're going to preach about. And that's preaching, I believe. I believe it's... And I, I had someone just recently tell me, and I, I, I think as apostolics, we're, we're familiar with this. Sometimes we come across those that do it a little different than us in the way that they deliver the word. And they kind of tend to maybe mock us a little bit. Not outright, but I kind of feel that way a little bit. I had a conversation with a man that just recently, and they would put a very strong emphasis on teaching. So when they stand up and they and they address their congregation. It's usually always prepared. There's always some thoughts that they have prior to that, and they give a lesson, and it's a teaching. And I, I, don't, I don't have necessarily a problem with that. Um, I think I've been, I've been really blessed by that, and I see that even the Lord himself, as it says, went about preaching and teaching. There's a time and a place for that. For, for that. But I'd be very leery of only having teaching, be very leery of that, and and I and I've expressed that to some of those groups, and um, I'd like to encourage them to just stand and open the word and preach, preach by inspiration of of the Spirit of God, not know what we're going to say, not not have any thoughts. But in this conversation, I I I was I kind of felt jabbed at a little bit, you know, that uh, well, you know, you as apostolics, you you have this idea that you know you just you just open up, you don't have anything. And he kind of jabbed a little bit there, I felt like. And it was fine. I didn't mind that. It was okay. I would have liked to talk to him a little bit more about it. I would have liked to have shared my thoughts on that a little bit more and said, well, but it is scriptural. It is scriptural just to stand and open and preach. And uh, I think sometimes we, we start to teach, and I, this is my tendency, I start to teach, and, then, and before I know it, I'm, I'm not teaching, I'm preaching. And I, I think it helps sometimes to have a little bit of, to, to know what's what. There's some, some brothers are really beautifully gifted in teaching. I don't feel like I'm one of those. Um, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't rather preach. I'd rather stand up, not know, and just preach. Um, and so when I have a burden on my heart that I, that I feel maybe needs to be shared, um, I, I can really struggle with that then because I don't want to get myself in the way. And there was a real battle going on there before I stood up, and even this morning when I woke up. So I hope that each of us have a prayer on our heart that the things that, that maybe we can think about here this afternoon can be things that the Lord himself can, it can be teachings from his word. It can be inspired by his Holy Spirit. I don't want to stand in the way of that at all, and yet at times I feel like it's, it is necessary. I, I look at our forefathers, and, I've, and again, I've shared this before, but it, it, it comforts me and maybe convicts me a little bit. I look at the amount of effort that someone like Samuel Fralick put forward in teaching. He, my understanding is he didn't really open up very often and just preach. He, he taught, and expositorily and you know, he, he went through book by book or chapter by chapter, and you could pretty well guess what he was going to talk about the next Sunday. There was, a, there was a method and a system to how he worked through the scriptures. 
and he was a good teacher. And that was really necessary. That was, that was profitable for our people on back because it gave them a good, solid grounding and a good, solid foundation. They, they, they could have the understanding and the, the knowledge that they needed as they rubbed up against the pressures of the world and the false doctrines and the false teachings that were coming in. And I think it's similar today. I think that there is a place for that. And I, so I maybe, I maybe give that as a little bit of a, um, just some beginning thoughts here before I, before I begin here. And uh, so I hope, I hope that today that our hearts can be um, taught and, and encouraged and strengthened and that we can maybe be aware of some things that maybe all of us here have maybe grown a little accustomed to, possibly. I don't know. Some of you that are traveling, I don't know. And, and there's a blessing in that, and also it's a challenge. The rest of the brethren here I know pretty well. I know the situations, the family situations, and I know the things that um, maybe that I'd like to talk about. I know kind of how it might hit them and how it might not hit them. And so when we have visitors, we don't know. And uh, But again, let, let's be prayerful. Uh, maybe let, we can start with a prayer here this afternoon, and if we can bow on prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before Thee again here this afternoon hour, and we're thankful that we can bow before Thee again. And Father, we pray that Thy Spirit would come and teach us here this afternoon. That Father, that it would not be words that we would hear and just walk away and forget, but that each of us here, Lord, might be more intentional and purposed and feel a deep conviction by Thy Spirit to be busy about doing the work of the Lord. Father, please come and take away any thoughts, Lord, that the thoughts that don't need to be shared that are my thoughts, I just pray, Lord, that they would just be removed. Pray, Lord, inspire my thoughts, the things that thou would desire to have shared, that thou would express that, Lord, and move in my heart accordingly. Lord, that thou would just, uh, I just pray, Lord, that I could humble myself before thee here, and not allow anything at all to be between me and thee, and from thee being able to use, use my, my mouth as a, as a way to communicate here this afternoon, Father. I feel, Lord, that the devil would try to resist and try to fight, and I feel that fight, Father, and I just pray that thou would rebuke him, that thou would bind him, and, Lord, that thou would keep him from our, our gathering here this afternoon. Lord, we're in times that we need that are urgent. We are in times, Lord, that we need to be awake. We need to be moving forward. We need to be diligent. We need to be intentional. And the devil is really trying hard, Father, to hinder thy children here below. And so I just pray, Father, that thou would help us. And Lord, that thou would put a sense of urgency upon our hearts here and give us the courage and the strength that we need to do thy will and to move forward, Father, in doing what is pleasing unto thee. So, Father, please come and help us. Please remove my weaknesses, Lord, and how my, my thoughts can feel um, very attacked at times, Father, and just distractions and that the devil would try to bring. And I just pray, dear God, that please don't let that come in here, but may there be a blessing upon us, Father. Father, we love thee and we thank thee and we praise thee, and it's in thy name we do pray. Amen. There's a few scriptures that are on my heart that I'd like to share. And when I think about, as I was sitting there and we were in prayer and the thought came to me again, and I think about that, have you ever thought about the thought of that it would not be in vain, that Christ's blood would not have been spilt in vain? And there are certain desires and certain things that, that Christ in his death and in his resurrection and his life here below, there were certain things that were on his heart that he desired to accomplish, and he desired to see his redeemed accomplished. There's expectations that our Lord has. There's expectations that the Father in heaven has regarding his children. And it came at a tremendous price. And we're aware of that. We know that. It came at a tremendous price. It cost the very blood of the Son of God. 
It caused cruel death and sufferings and torments there on that cross. And I wonder sometimes if, if we maybe don't neglect in our understanding that there are expectations that our Lord has for us as his people, things that he is expecting and even requiring of us as his people in order to be the legitimate children of God. Think back and can remember several years ago, I remember being somewhat overwhelmed and burdened by the thought I was, in a, I was in a place, and I was, I was in a, a, a situation where, and I was preaching, and it seemed like there was a lot of conflict. There seemed like there was a lot of challenging that was happening, that was going on. And what I quickly found out was, is that as, as the word was preached, and it seemed pretty black and white to me, as it usually does. Things just seem pretty black and white. When I read the word, there doesn't seem to be a lot of wiggle room, usually. But as I preached the word there on a number of topics, and I'd get called, and they'd want to meet and talk about maybe something I shared. It could have been any number of things. I was young. I was probably 23 years old at the time, maybe 24. I didn't have a lot of experience. And I would share some thoughts from the pulpit regarding even what I shared this morning, things that we should be abstaining from as children of God. And I quickly found out that there was opposition to those things, and I quickly found out that there were some others that didn't feel the same way about that and felt pretty strongly that I was wrong. What was very alarming to me was when we would sit down and what seemed so black and white here in the Word of God, when we'd sit down with another professing, a professing Christian, a fellow member, a fellow brother, that we would read the word of God together and that we would walk away from that having read the same exact scripture together and yet we would walk away not in agreement, having very, very different understandings of even what that exact scripture meant. And I could tell you numerous situations and numerous times where in our defense of what we were believing, in my defense of, of what I was standing on, in my defense of the convictions that I believed were of God, I found numerous times on numerous occasions by numerous individuals that oftentimes they would use the exact same scripture that I was using as my defense to uphold my position to strengthen me in my convictions, they would use that same scripture to defend their position and their stance and their conviction, even though it was almost entirely opposite. We wonder how can that be? Maybe, maybe most of you haven't had that experience. Maybe some of you have had it more than I have. But if you're a young man, or whenever you are at that time, I can assure you, if you haven't had that, that's a troubling place to find yourself in. It's a hard place to find yourself in when the pillar and the ground of truth, this word of God, is being cast in such a way that you walk away wondering and doubtful, what is truth? And there were times in that, in those experiences where I really wondered, how can we know? How can we know? Am I right or am I wrong? It didn't seem like both of us could be right. Now, we both maybe could have been wrong. But when we're speaking opposites, literally opposites, it doesn't seem like we could both be right, does it? And yet there's something much greater at work in the whole realm of things that is giving men the idea that both could be right. That maybe, maybe both could be right. 
And the approach to that maybe is looked upon and maybe we need to meet some work more in the middle. Maybe what's being shared here is an, is an extreme and maybe what's being shared over here is an extreme. And so maybe the solution is to meet in the middle and, and discuss these things and dialogue about these things and come to a place of agreement there in the middle somewhere. And I found with that very quickly that 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 was really horrifying. That was really horrifying. We take that position. We're going to be so far off so quickly. If we're going to take this and this and try to meet here, and that's what we're going to base our truth on, finding a place there comfortably in the middle, what you're left with is both sides not being happy. Neither one are satisfied with that place. Neither one are satisfied with that kind of a conclusion. Both feel like there's been a, a compromise. And yet that's really how the world operates today. It's called synthesis. You take antithesis and you take the, the so you have the, 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 the argument and you have the counter argument, but you're going to meet somewhere in the middle. And this is, this is philosophy that's taught almost unknowingly within the, the education systems today. It's been that way for years and years. I'd say we could mark it back clear about almost back to the 20s. It happened even earlier in Europe where these philosophers had developed this idea of synthesis of, and how can we really know what truth is? And how can we really come to a conclusion that's just your ideas. That's not my ideas. And how can you hold me to your ideas and your thoughts and your convictions? What really makes you any better than me? And who do you think you are to require me to live up to your belief? It's one thing if that's in the college campuses. It's one thing if it's in the public education systems, which it is. It's there rampantly. It's taught almost unquestionably. It's seen as reasonable. It's accepted as being the logical and reasonable approach to reaching consensus and coming to an informed conclusion. And it's looked upon as being very unreasonable for any group of people to stand up and proclaim that there is such thing as absolute truth. It seems entirely unreasonable in the day and time that we're living in for any group of people to stand on this word of God and say, we understand what this word is saying, we rightly interpret it, and we proclaim it, and we stand upon it. That's a really bold thing for any group of people to say today. It's highly unpopular for anyone to say that today. If you want to put a target on your back, just stand up and say that. But that's what we need to do. We need to stand on this word of God and proclaim it and not be afraid and worry about what men and women who are as grass and fadeth away as the flower of the field, what they're going to say and what they're going to do. But as a young man, I can assure you that I was really troubled and I wondered where... How do, we, how do we come to some understanding of this? How can we know? How can we know? How can I know that when I say when I say and I give a position and I say this is what the word of God says about divorce and remarriage as a for instance and they come and they say, this is what the word of God says about divorce and remarriage. And it's almost as equally convincing. What do you do in that spot? And some people despair. And some people say, you'll never come to an agreement. But Christ died there on that cross to accomplish something. And one of the things that he died on that cross to accomplish was to bring forth and to birth a people who are going to be together, who are going to be united, and who are going to give a, a united voice regarding truth. 
that there would be a people who would be able to proclaim this is truth, thus saith the Lord, and not apologize for it, not feel embarrassed about it, not feel ashamed about it. And that's been his desire. We read in John chapter 17, it's the Lord's Prayer that we're all familiar with, I'm sure. But John chapter 17, I'd like to read a few verses. John chapter 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And that's you and I here today. Almost some 2,000 years later, the Lord was praying for us. He had expectations. There were things on the Lord's heart that were pressing upon him that he wanted to see accomplished in his death and the shedding of his blood, and his sufferings, he wanted to see something brought forth from that and that it would not be in vain. This is what he said. This is what he prayed for you and I. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect and one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. And I wondered about that as I looked around. And I started finding out that there was, at the time, and the numbers vary on this. And I'm repeating myself to a number of you. But I started wondering, at the time they, it was reported there was over 20,000 different denominations here in America alone. All proclaiming to have the truth. As I looked at that, and I could look at those, some of those churches, and some of those churches had women preachers, and they were confident that they were standing for the truth. And some of those churches have horse and buggies with no electricity, and they were confident that they were standing on the truth. And then you had everything in between, and worse. And in this environment and in this culture stands this scripture, and we have to do something with that. How can we know? There's a verse there in John, 1 John. It says, continue in the things which you heard from the beginning. Continue in the things which you heard from the beginning. And that verse really started weighing and pressing upon my heart. And I started wondering, what does that mean? Continue in the things which you heard from the beginning. At the time, there was a lot of division within the settings that we were in, in the national church. There was a lot of division. There was a lot of, a lot of going back and forth on doctrinal variants and a lot of different ideas being expressed on different doctrines. And there was a lot of tension and a lot of striving and a lot of and, and there was a few of us that felt that maybe, maybe we need to go back to the teachings of our forefathers. And maybe we need to go back to the writings there of, of what Samuel Fralick wrote. And for a while, that was, that was very encouraging and stimulating. And it strengthened us in our faith to find that as we studied the Word of God and we found what he wrote, it was in line. It was encouraging. It was strengthening to our faith. It gave us a deeper appreciation for the heritage that has been given to us and preserved for us. Through our, through our forefathers. But it wasn't long until 
I couldn't stop at that verse, continuing the things which you've heard from the beginning. You know, Fralick wasn't far enough back. If we were going to stop at Fralick, then we were going to still have some real problems, I think, and some issues, and wondering how to resolve and get to a place where we know what actually truth is. And so we started going back a little bit further, and we started looking into the church of Acts, and we started getting back into to that first church. We wanted to know what were their thoughts. What were their thoughts on divorce and remarriage? Can we find that out? What were their thoughts on politics? Can we find that out? What was their thoughts on modesty and the head covering and these kinds of, these kinds of things? What was their view on worldliness? And what is worldliness? Did they have anything to say about it? We read it through the Word of God, but yet when we go to the Word of God, I found other men using the Word of God in defense for going to movie theaters, as crazy as that seems. You're sitting there in the pews with brethren who you love, you unquestionably love, you unquestionably care for, you know, the brother sitting there shoulder to shoulder there beside you the night before, watched the rated R movie, did something sinful, and then we bring out the book, and we sing Thus United and in Concord, let us walk the path of life, hand in hand. But what we began to see was that there was a unified group. That that early church, there was a unified testimony concerning topics such as divorce and remarriage. There was a general agreement on what is worldliness. There was a general agreement on what they needed to stay away from. And you know what happened to those people? They suffered and they died as martyrs. And that encouraged me in that study. That encouraged me that the world were killing these men. That seemed to fall in line with exactly what the Lord said would happen to those who walk in the truth. And as we looked on down the generations of time, we saw a unified group throughout every generation, throughout every time period. There have been those that have held to this word of God. And you know, they didn't add a lot of theology to it. They didn't add a lot of deep thinking to it. They didn't take the scriptures and write out a PhD on it and come up with some extravagant explanation of it that no one but the doctors could understand. They read the word of God and it said, if any man hits you on the right cheek, give to him the other also. And how did they understand that? They didn't explain it away and say, well, if you can love him in your heart, then, you don't, then, then hit him back. They just took it as, you know what we're supposed to do? Someone hits me on my right cheek, I'm just supposed to give the left one as well. And it was just really that simple. They took this word of God as it was simply written as a child could understand it. Just as a child could understand it. And they took it in that, and in faith, they embraced it and said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to live that. We're going to follow that. And they refused to add innovations to it. They refused to be creative with it. And in that simplicity of faith, they were able to maintain a oneness for quite a few years. I won't get into all the history of it. The thought that really started bothering me was, it'd be one thing if we looked around and all we saw today was fellowships that were mixed with diversity on ideas such as divorce and remarriage, diversity regarding what is worldliness, diversity regarding what is modesty. And these are things that are real that we came out of, that, we're, that, we, that we faced. We'd almost have to accept that if there had never been a group of people who had actually taken this word of God right here, this prayer, 
and actually allow the Lord to bring them into realization of this prayer. We'd almost have to say, you know what, it can't be done. It can't be done that there's ever going to be a group of people who are of one mind and of one heart and of one soul who speak the same thing, who believe the same thing, who, who, are, who are living the same thing. We'd almost have to say it can't be done except the crying witness and testimony of the historical record that there are those who have done it in every generation. There wasn't just one sporadic generation back in the 1500s that just a revival of, of biblical truth, but there had been a generation after generation after generation where this word was preserved and the groups of men who were genuinely converted, filled with the Spirit of God, could come together and reason one another through the scriptures and through the helping and guidance of the Spirit of God and through humility, they could come to the place and the point where they could actually be in agreement, thus saith the Lord. And they could walk away and be in agreement on that. And now today is our turn. We'll be of those that will be like the world and say, what can be done? We'll never reach that. We'll never come to a place of true unity. Or we will be of that faithful seed that's been preserved through every generation that will be able to give a voice and a testimony that it can be done. It's the heart and the burden of our Lord and Savior. It was his closing prayer, one of his closing prayers here before he was taken and suffered that cruel death was that they all may be one. And I think we see that as optional. We become so accustomed to things I want to read this verse. This verse just really stood out to me and just really hit me. If I can find it here. It's the problem sometimes when you're... don't always find what you're looking for, but... Here in Mark chapter 3, I just want to read one verse. I think we've gotten accustomed. I don't know that this scripture hits us like it ought to hit us. I'd like to and pray that the Lord could lay this scripture to our heart and it could grow there in our heart and become a real heavy burden for us. Verse 25, it says, And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. It cannot stand. That house that's divided against itself cannot stand. It doesn't say 50-50 chance. It doesn't say part of the time. It doesn't say you might make it, you might squeeze by. It says a house divided cannot stand. And one of the burdens that I've had on my heart here for a while, and I've talked to you, some of you brothers about it, I'm alarmed and I don't, know, I don't know how it is for you, so you'll have to bear with me here for those of you who are visiting today. I don't know any, I, I don't know how this is for you. It might be different with where you're at. I, I hope and pray that it is. But I can say for us, I don't think there's any one of us here that can say all of my family is in the faith. that we're part of the same faith, specifically. We go to the same church. I don't know how many years ago you would have had to go back, and that would have been a very unusual thing in our settings, in our apostolic settings. I, I, don't, I really don't know that. I'm thinking 
that it wouldn't have been that far back when you could have thought of a number of families, majority of families in general, that had all their children there, had all their grandchildren there. They were brought into the faith. They went through a true conversion, went through a true, had a true baptism. And there they were as faithful supporters in the faith. Today we come to family gatherings, and it's awkward. It's awkward. Houses divided. I have it in my own home, or my own family, not my own home, but plead with God. It's a testimony. There's a testimony. Something has impacted us on a terribly deep level that we've grown accustomed to it. It doesn't seem unusual anymore. There's a day when mom and dad would have hung their heads in shame the loss of one of their children attending a community church or a, some falling away altogether. A house divided cannot stand, and yet it's rampant. I can't think of a family in any of our settings, and I don't know with you again, but in our settings, I, I strain to come up with any. The devil has done a tremendous work at dividing and tearing apart and destroying Mom and a dad, in the world today, 50% of them are going to end in divorce, is what the statistics tell me. We look around us, and we don't hardly bat an eye, do we? The division that's caused by the polarization of the political parties, we just count it up as normal. We see what COVID does, face masks, and how it causes tension and division within the world, but also within the churches, that one of the biggest struggles that some of these churches are having today is what to do with the face mask. Divisions caused by that. But I think sometimes in the home where there's not divorce, yet mom and dad are not together in this oneness I mean, do we really understand the, the, the greatness of this calling? That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us. Do we understand the, 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 the standard that, that the Lord lifted up there? That they be one like us. One like us. I wonder if sometimes so many of these families are split up and divided and, and they, they're scattered to the wind, as we say. I don't know, but I have to wonder, did they see mom and dad divided? Did they see mom resisting dad's guidance, dad's leadership, dad's direction in the home? Did they sense some struggle there, some resistance that mom was kicking up against. In my home, we did. Mom and dad divorced. A house divided cannot stand. But we can't expect our families to stay together if mom and dad aren't together in one. There's a real high calling there that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. 
I wonder if on a very fundamental level, the devil's attacking marriages and ripping apart husband and wife, spouses, and mom is not fulfilling her role and dad's not fulfilling his role, and a house divided cannot stand. And I'm, I'm concerned that we've grown accustomed to it. I'm concerned that we've grown callous to it. I'm concerned that, that as we look at the environment that's around us and it's so polarized and it's so divided and it's so torn apart, and the idea that is rampant is that there's, there's no such thing as absolute truth. We are odd to stand and say, yes, there is. That's not what the world believes. And they will hate you for saying that. They will hate you for holding them to a standard that says, there is a God who has spoken, who meant what he said. He said what he meant. And we're going to be judged not by what we think it says, but by what he actually said and meant. And therefore, it's of the utmost importance for us in this time while we still have life and breath and grace is given to us, it's of the utmost importance that we give ourselves to truly understand, Lord, what do you mean by this? What are you saying? Because we're coming before God and we will be judged by what he actually meant and by what he actually said, not by what we thought. We look at the churches today, and if we would take 10 men, all members of the same congregation, and we started probing them. I know of a lot of churches, and I, dear ones, dear ones, and, and they, they, would, they would be able to tell me they're united, they're a united group. And they look that way for the most part. But if we took 10 of those same men, what I'm concerned about is that we could take 10 of those men and we could start probing there. Brother, sister, what are your thoughts on divorce and remarriage? I'm just using that as an example. It could be anything. You pick it. You, you go through and grab any doctrine out of there that you want to. You sit down with a unified group of people and you ask them, what's your thoughts on that? your thoughts on voting, politics? What's your thoughts on modesty and how a woman ought to dress? What's your thoughts on the world and what is worldliness? What should we be abstaining from? And you'll find out very quickly, very, very quickly, that the Christian church has come to accept a divided house that cannot stand. They have. And I've found, as some of you have found, there's certain doctrines that we hold to very dearly and we say, and we stand on those doctrines. And one of those doctrines that we come up against a lot of resistance on is the teaching that God, through his grace and through his help, through the indwelling of his spirit, gives us the power where it is possible for us to overcome all sin. That we don't have to, as, as born-again believers, as new creatures, we don't have to live in sin any longer. It's not necessary. We sin because, after all, we choose to, not because we have to. We've been given a new heart. God's power is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. But we meet a lot of resistance against that. And men will tell us, and we've heard it, numerous of us have heard this, it can't be done. I don't believe it. Can't be done. They have the sin of unbelief. They are unbelievers. And you'll find that it's the same way with this particular teaching that not only is it possible, but it's actually required of us. Christ didn't waste words here. Christ never wasted a word. Christ never spoke anything amiss. What he spoke and what he prayed was perfect. And when he prayed here that they all might be one, it wasn't a prayer that was uttered up unto God that fell to the ground, never going to be done. God didn't look down on his son and say, son, you went a little too far on that one. You asked a little too much on that one. He walked on the water, he raised the dead, he touched the, the lepers and healed them, and he prayed that they all might be one. 
And God in heaven did not sit up there in, in the heavens at that time and say, that, that one's not going to be done. It has been done, and among God's true children, it will continue to be done. That's just what it is. If it's not being done, it's because we are not where we are. But I'm finding, as some of you are, that this particular teaching, and it started a number of years, there was a burn on my heart as I began to look at these things and as I began to study this and I began to see that, you know, there has been in every generation, there's been men that have, that have done this. They've been in agreement on what is truth and they weren't afraid to say this is truth and they stood there on that truth. And I began to see that there was a number of us that had a burden upon our hearts that we wanted to come together and we wanted to intentionally begin to start working through these divisive topics. And we had an intention. We had a, we had a goal in mind. We wanted to come together and we wanted to be united and we wanted to be able to bring others into that united little group and be able to show them that it is possible. We wanted them to be able to come into our little group and we wanted them to be able to ask us a question. And we wanted to be able to say the same thing to them. We wanted to be able to say, this is what we believe. And we recognize very quickly that if one of us, if one of us, as they go around that circle and they ask us, what do you believe on this topic? If one of us would say, well, you know, I just happen to see that just a little bit different here. Forget it. It lost its attraction. We're just like the rest of the world. That the best that they can offer us, this is the very best that the world can offer us, and it's the very best that most churches can offer. The very best they can offer us is that you'll never be in agreement and so you just have to agree to disagree. You just have to agree to tolerate one another. Put up with one another. It's the best that you'll get. And there's nothing attractive about that. There's nothing unusual. There's nothing special. Any communist country can do that. Any, any people group can do that. There's nothing powerful about it. We're going to agree to disagree. We're going to agree to tolerate one another. And we found that if one person would come into our gathering and ask us, and we found ourselves at odds, we lost our testimony, and we had a lot of work to do. And you can be sure we were going to come together, and we were going to have a discussion. And I can't tell you how many discussions I've had with that brother sitting back there in the back. We sat down, and I was, I was scared. I was nervous the first time that we met together. You couldn't have put two more opposite men together. I had a brother tell me if you would have ever told me that Dan Duball and Sam Carr would be sitting at breakfast table together and visiting and actually enjoying it, he said I would have said you were dreaming. Never happened. And I was intimidated. I didn't want to get in a fight, but I knew what I believed. I knew I had the faithful cloud of witnesses, the faithful testimony of witnesses of men and brothers and sisters who had died before me, suffered for their faith and died. I knew I had their testimony. You know what else I knew? I knew that I needed that, brother. I knew that I needed that brother. And I knew we weren't together on the same page. But that it's what Christ called us to. And in my comfort, I could have said, this is a little too uncomfortable. I'm going to stay away from this. I can remember him calling me up one time. And we were struggling over divorce and remarriage. We were really battling it out. And he had his scriptures and I had mine. And I remember him asking me, he painted a scenario, what if? What if? And he painted a scenario. And it was a good, it was a good question. Would you ever baptize someone that came into your setting that had been divorced and remarried? 
and was still in that place. And I said, brother, by the grace of God, I would never be able to do that. I would never be able to baptize someone that was living and married to someone else while their first spouse was living. I'd never, with the grace of God, the help of God, I'd never be able to do it. And I can tell you that brother wept. He wept. And he wrestled with that and struggled with that and struggled with that. And he, I don't know how much sleep he lost. Those are hard sayings. I didn't convince him. I'll tell you that. I didn't convince him. I couldn't have convinced him. God convinced him. I understand why the world doesn't united. I understand why the churches aren't united. I understand why men just take the approach that, you know what, we're just going to agree to disagree. We're just going to go along and get along. I'll leave you alone. You leave me alone. We'll come together. We'll smile. We'll, we'll, we'll do a number of things, enough things alike, where, where we don't annoy each other to the point of separation, but, but you just stay over here and I'll stay over here, and life's just going to be a little better that way. And a house divided cannot stand. It can for a little bit. You know, when the Lord said there in that parable, when he likened that man that heard the word of God but then did nothing about it, it doesn't say that that wind and the waves and the floods came immediately. It doesn't say that. But eventually the wind and the rain and the floods came. And when that wind and the rain and the floods came, the house fell. And a divided house cannot stand. And now this is the burden that I have in my heart. It's attractive. It is very, very attractive. When brethren begin to come together, as it says, when brethren dwell together in unity, it is attractive. When there are agreements made and there can be full fellowship entered into with one another, it is so beautiful because it's God's intended desire It's God's purpose that his children come together and dwell together in unity. And it's attractive and it's beautiful. And others are drawn to it. And as others are drawn to it, it challenges that group. It challenges that that for us here, because suddenly we're, we're presented with new questions again. You know, any group of people, when my, husband, or when my wife and I were first married, I've said it many times, I honestly, I don't, I'm not boasting on this. I'm really not. I'm not boasting. I don't, feel, I don't feel boasting in me. I don't know how my wife and I could be more united. I'm not saying that arrogantly or proudly. I pray God protects me against the wiles of the devil to de- try to destroy that because he will try. But I will tell you, I don't know how we could be. Almost 20 years into our marriage, and she's not here today, and I feel, I struggle. I don't mean to be a crybaby that my wife's not here, but I, I need her. I do. She knows when to start praying for me. We are one. You can't take one and and separate. It won't work. It won't work. But I'll tell you, that first year of our marriage, it was beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I have some of the most fond memories of that first year of our marriage. I made my wife cry more in that first marriage, that first year of marriage, than I probably have the rest of our time combined. We needed to get to know each other. There was questions. There was things that I did that annoyed her. And there was things that she did that annoyed me. And I was rough. 
I didn't have a smooth way of talking. Still probably don't. I made her cry on her honeymoon. If you can imagine that. I thought, what have I done? This, this beautiful girl that I was so in love with, I made her cry on her honeymoon. She made a comment there as we were driving down in a beautiful setting, and I said, you know, I don't really like that term. And I said about just like that. And I thought I was, I was fine with that. I thought that, that's how I was used to talking. You know, I don't really like that. It sounds kind of proud. I kept driving, not thinking a thing about it, and I hear sniffling. I see her looking out the window. I realize she's crying. I heard her. I, I melted. I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't even know what I did, but I was so sorry. Here, she was crying. So I am sorry. You know, entering into unity with people, it doesn't just happen just like that. It just doesn't. You have new people coming in. You have people that are coming in with questions, and, they, and there's, there's friction at times, and there's questions. Well, I don't, I don't get why you're doing this, honey. I don't get why this is happening. And there's tears, and there's tension, and there's, but there's commitment. There was commitment. There was no question of the commitment. It was never an option that we were saying, hey, you know what? This was a mistake. Went the wrong way here. It was of God. And in faith, we received it that way and believed it with all our heart and always have ever since. But I can guarantee you when the Lord prayed this prayer, he had an expectation and a desire. This isn't something unusual. This is to be the expected norm for God's children. And it's not easy. I think of how many times, I think about Friday night, there we were gathered, and it was one of the most beautiful. I, I, I left feeling, I went to bed feeling so thankful for our Friday night gathering. And we admonished a brother. said, brother, we got concerns. And he hung his head and he just took it. It was beautiful. It's not easy being united. It's not easy coming to the place where we're all speaking the same thing. So that when they start probing and questioning and want to know how we feel about this and how we feel about that, we could actually be those ten brothers and they walk away from it and they say, that's unusual. They answered the same thing. They believe the same thing. That's not easy to do. It takes a lot of tears. It takes a lot of tension. It takes a lot of friction. There's conflict. And apart from the Spirit of God, it can't be done. They're right when they say it can't be done. They're right when they stand up and they say, I don't believe it. I don't believe you'll ever have a group of people who are going to speak the same thing and believe the same thing and, 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 and be united like what you're talking about. I don't believe it can be done. You're right, it can't be done because there are so many in the churches today who profess to be converted and they're not. And you're never going to convert an unconverted person to a converted person. As we said this morning, as we read this morning, what fellowship hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? The reason it can't be done and the reason it's not happening in these churches that we've come out of and that we see and that we love these people, but the reason they'll never reach agreement and unity and, and, and oneness is because there's sin in the camp. Devil's there. There's unconverted people in the midst, and you can't unite that together. You can't put that together. And so when a group of people come together and there's friction and conflict and that conflict can't be resolved, we need to start going deeper. We need to start looking deeper and say, what's wrong with me? Is there something in my heart that's not right? Have I given place somewhere to the devil? There's humility. Apart from humility, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We need the Spirit of God moving among us and giving us uh, the fullness of His grace and humility. But it can be done. It's hard. Brothers, we need to keep pressing on. I, I, I am so thankful. I don't say this boastfully. I just genuinely feel a thankfulness 
of our times together and, and the amount of effort it takes. But I, I want to encourage us keep pressing on into that. A house divided cannot stand. A house divided cannot stand. May God give us the grace. I'm sure there's more that needs to be said. But may God give us the grace to truly not settle for anything less. I don't want to settle for anything less. I want to see this scripture fulfilled. And today is the time. We are that generation that will either be included with that faithful cloud or will be of that generation that was affected by the philosophies of this world that were deceived and led astray. It's a high calling. There's a lot in front of us. May God give us the grace to fulfill it.